Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. And also, if you have something, you can mark, uh, you can mark your place in Romans 5 as well as James 1. And uh, there's a purpose for that this morning. We're going to be utilizing these three passages, tying them together this morning. Uh, I trust it will be a help to you. You have heard some wonderful preaching this past week with regards to the process that God works in our life with death, death to self, uh, through the trying of our faith. And I want to, um, by the grace of God this morning, to, I trust, be a help to you. Uh, I believe that so many times we can get stirred in a week like last week, and then you come into the practical day-to-day life of this coming week, and they gave you a lot of practical truth, don't get me wrong. But there's something about hearing it in the grind of a college week that I think, I trust, will be a help to you. Also, uh, the context of 1 Thessalonians 5 is interesting. You know in 1 Thessalonians 4, it speaks about the fact of the Lord's return, his, uh, the rapture of the church. And then it says in the beginning of chapter 5, it says, look, you need to live as those who are not asleep, but are awake spiritually, ready for the coming of the Lord. You notice what it says in verse Five, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And it talks about those who literally are asleep spiritually, who are not paying attention, and then those who are clearly sober, those who are awake. And it continues to go on and it says, all right, look, verse 11, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Okay, based upon this future or the hope of the coming of the Lord being at any time, he says, I want you to encourage each other and I want you to build each other up. And then he gives some very practical admonitions. I'm not going to be speaking about all of 1 Thessalonians 5 or the second half of it, but I want to just quickly help you understand the framework that it's in. Now, did you know that in 1 Thessalonians, um, here actually it's not just this section, it's really anywhere that Paul Um, would address believers, he actually used the idea of brethren. Did you know he used it 60 times in his letters? And in 1 Thessalonians alone, actually in both, I think, books, he used it 27 times. Speaking to different local churches, you know what? He saw the local church as a family. Now you say, why is that important? Well, you'll see here in a minute. This is, let me just give you a little side point. It's very sad when believers do not take very seriously the privilege of being part of a local church. Paul himself called it brethren, family, 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 over and over and over again. No church is perfect, neither is any family, but a child would be in huge trouble without a family to protect and provide for him. As you know, suffering and death would occur. Well, can you think about how tragic it is when people do not embrace what God's given them in their church? Now, in the context of this and why that's so important is the first few verses of this section when he goes, and we beseech you, brethren, he pleads with them as family, as brethren, and then he talks about the importance of the having the right respect for those in spiritual authority and leadership. This is a section of scripture that pastors probably rarely preach unless they're doing an expository series. It's uncomfortable as a senior pastor to get up and, and give this section, even though it's the word of God, um, you know, because it basically is speaking of the fact that we're to appreciate the role or respect the position of a pastor, to respect, to, to know, it means to know fully, to regard or regard them, or recognize them for who they are as entitled to respect because of who they are. And it says, it says, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. By the way, you know what admonish is? Literally, Robertson says, it's putting sense into the heads of people. A thankless but a necessary task. 
Okay, pastors have to do that, okay? They admonish us. It just literally is putting sense into our heads, spiritually speaking. Then it says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Did you know that when we have the right view of, as God is encouraging us to, by the way, this, those two verses, if you study them out, they are very strongly worded with regards to the way that we are to treat our pastors. And let me just challenge you with this. While you're not a pastor and a senior pastor, guys, you better be the highest of example of somebody who lives out 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. By the way, Matthew chapter 7, I found this to be true all over the years. With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. In other words, with whatever you measure out, you're gonna, it's going to come back. And I encourage you, be somebody who is, is all in when it comes to supporting the man that God's put in, 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 your, in leadership in your life. And you notice what happens. It, this is a result and also just something that happens when people have the Spirit. And it says, and be at peace among yourselves. Very important. But then it goes on. It talks about how we're to help those who are feeble-minded, and, and uh, it's those who literally are strengthless, uh, the weak, uh, this idea of that, be patient toward all men. So it gives these verses that have a little bit more explanation to them, talking about uh, honoring your spiritual leaders, and then it talks about how we're to treat one another and to come alongside and to help and be a blessing to them. And then it gives three verses that you many times would not think necessarily in the context of the trying of your faith or trials, but I believe they're very appropriate to that. If you look at verse 16, rejoice evermore. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And then verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let me just say that if you are living in light of the fact that the Lord could be coming back at any time, then your attitude toward the things that God puts in your life is going to be different. The normal human reaction is obviously not to rejoice all the time. It's not to pray without ceasing. And it's definitely not to in everything give thanks. As I was thinking about today and thinking of the context of 1 Thessalonians 5, I was sobered hearing the news, I heard it late last night, about the fact that there was a rocket that hit a hospital over in, in Gaza and hundreds have been killed. And the whole world was turning on Israel, blaming them for it, when it's clearly even the president himself, who's in Israel right now, uh, our president, uh, whatever state he's in at the moment, I'm not sure, even with his clarity of his mind, I'm not meaning to make fun of him, it's just sometimes it's hard to know. He, even in his state, looked over at the prime minister, I, at least I heard, this was said, I didn't see it, and just said, we know who did it, and it wasn't you. Okay, But the world is, is more and more in anger. There's just been... Embassies have, have been had major riots outside of them, American and Israeli, and you just watch this going on. You know, it was a rocket that either was purposefully done or got stray and dropped right on the hospital, coming not from Israel but from the other direction. And I say this to say that if a generation has ever had their eyes open to the importance of living in light of the return of, of Christ and, and scripturally, it should be you. And that's not a negative, it should be me. It's a positive. What a great privilege we have for God to be opening our eyes to the fact that maybe the end is drawing nigh. What a privilege we have to serve the Lord. It may, it may not be. God, as the pastor has said, God can turn events. But I want to specifically look here at how we're to respond to trials based upon those, first, those three verses that we read. You know, I don't think, unless you're just an unusual person, I don't think anybody here enjoys difficulty, do you? I remember the story, and I may not have it all right, and pastor could correct this, but I remember the story of my great-grandmother, pastor's grandmother, who... As a young married lady, uh, lived in the 1920s.
1920s. Anybody remember what the 1920s were? It's the Roaring Twenties, right? And a lot of things seemed to be going. Our country was obviously getting very wicked, but hey, things were going. You know, it was a happy time. Everybody was living their own life, and so on. And she, she wasn't that way, but she uh, was not married to the most spiritual man. Their life, they actually were pretty successful. They were, um, they, they had a pretty good amount of land they had owned, and so on. And and yet she, uh, I know she had a heart to follow the Lord. And and what you know what the Lord did in her life? Well, he allowed a hurricane to hit, and they lost, I think, pretty much all their home, right? And uh, my grandfather was, um, pastor's father was, I think she was holding him in the doorway of the bathroom or some place, one of the only places left standing in that hurricane. So they lost her home. And then you had the Florida land bust a year later or so when the value of the property that they owned was basically was worthless. So all they were counting on was gone. And I believe part of the property they owned, or at least they owned the area where the Orange Bowl is. Okay, so it was a valuable piece of real estate, but gone. Then, of course, what happened in the 30s? You know your history? The Depression, right? Now, a little later in her life, her son, Bobby, my great-uncle, had a, uh, a tragic accident and became a paraplegic. And then my grandmother um, almost died with a tubal pregnancy. Glad she didn't. <laughs> but she went through a lot, and I didn't mention all of it. But I'm going to tell you what. If I don't remember much with conversations with her, I was too young to, she, her mind was slipping, but I, I do remember her, and she was a precious lady, but I know Pastor talked to her many times, and the trying of her faith was good. So actually what shaped her to be the lady that she was, she became a woman who got to know her God. During difficult circumstances, God actually brought her far closer to him than she would have had if life had gone well. And I honestly think of how many of our lives have been touched through my grandfather, through pastor and his brothers and just the different, and his family, just the different ways that God's worked. Just think about the decisions of one lady to respond right to God when he allowed the trying of her faith to happen multiple times in very serious ways. I'm going to tell you, my generation, your generation, is a very selfish generation. All generations are, in, in a sense. But more than, I think, almost ever in the history of at least our country. We're just very self-focused. And you young people are sincere. You're here on purpose. You, you love the Lord. But the fact is, is it's amazing how our culture and just the, the generational mindset can creep into us. And one thing we do not like is when things are difficult and things press against us. And we don't understand that there's actually a deep process that God's endeavoring to work in our lives. And I want to just take a few minutes today and just talk to you all about how good God is. The best thing in all the world is for God to give you trials. The best thing. So let's look at the first thing we're to do when it comes to trying of our faith. Number one, and this is borne out in the other two passages, passages we're going to look at. The first thing is keep rejoicing. Make God's perspective your perspective. Now, this is the shortest verse in Scripture, rejoice evermore. But it packs a powerful punch, doesn't it? You know what it means? Rejoice at all times, on all occasions, under all kinds of circumstances. Now, last night I decided to do a little sermon uh, practice, and I got my family together, family devotions, and I said, all right. And uh, my wife leaned over to me because we've had a little bit of struggle with our youngest kid. She says, make this Nathan's level tonight. And she didn't tell me what to do, but it was just, we've been talking about family devotions, and so uh, anyway, I said, okay, all right, got to get this down to his level. 
So I said, all right, Nathan. I said, stand up, buddy. I said, you guys know Nathan, right? He's Mr., you know. And uh, I said, here, why don't you stand up, buddy? And I hear something have, have you do. I had his attention. He was not, he's not used to this, this much interaction. I need to grow in this. But anyway, so uh, I said, why don't you just start walking around the house? So we're all sitting there in the family room, you know. Just, just walk and don't stop walking. Just keep walking. Just go until I, you know, just go. And then, then he's just walking around. He's like, he thought it was big stuff. You know, the family's sitting there and he's allowed to do every one. So he's walking around and Finally, I kind of got where I kind of got in his way, and I said, well, keep going, Nathan, just don't stop. And he, and he just kept walking, and I kept kind of, and then he just, and, and I said, all right, look, I said, not per- perfect illustration, kids, but you know what God says when difficult things come in our lives? Just keep rejoicing, and don't stop. It doesn't matter what comes in your way. It was a simple, very, very simple, primitive illustration, but the whole idea is he's walking, continuing, he's not stopping, and guess what? God doesn't want you to stop either. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. See, a lot of times we see trials as almost strange. Like, wow, how'd that happen to me? The Bible says when it comes to keep rejoicing, expect them. You know what really helps when bad things happen to you is when you aren't surprised that they happen. In other words, this negative thing came in my life this difficulty, this family trial, this financial trial, this uh, excruciating moment that came in my life that I wasn't expecting, you weren't anticipating maybe be the, the better word. You need to realize, though, when that happens, that there's a reason for it. Now, by the way, sometimes trials do come because of our sin. Did you know that as a parent, there are some things that my kids struggle with that I am reaping because of my own sinful choices of how I work with them or whatever it is? So there is times that God allows that, but even those consequences for sin are always good too because they're best for us to help us. No matter why you're facing a trial, whether to strengthen your faith, they all are to strengthen your faith, but whether it's because you took a step of faith or whether it's because of your sin, it doesn't matter. God has a purpose in it and you need to rejoice. And don't be surprised by it. Now, let me just say this. A lot of times when we take steps of faith, we really want to trust God it's in those moments that God sometimes allows us to really face something interesting. Have you ever taken a step of faith financially where you said, I've got, I'm going to give this, and then all of a sudden it seemed like everything went in reverse for you? Maybe not. Maybe you haven't gotten there yet. You will get there someday, okay? But let me just say this, that I have multiple times had it where I was so excited because God led me to take a step of faith. And I took that step of faith, and I will tell you, humanly speaking, afterwards, for a while at least, was some of the most miserable things that have come my way. Boom, boom. I'm like, what? Wait, no, Lord. Wait, whoa, Lord. I just sacrificed for you, Lord. You know, what an amazing step of faith I took, you know. It's, and uh, why is this happening? I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for the world when I look back now. Now, I wish there were the times that I have God tried my faith and he's doing it a lot right now, but I wish I could tell you that every single time I have rejoiced, but I haven't. I just want to take a moment here and talk to you about the difference between when you do and when you don't, okay? Just two days ago, um, my son had an um, a issue with his diet, diabetes, which was enough to keep him home. That they, if they had not improved, that we would have gone to the hospital. And Caleb is phenomenally re- responsible. I couldn't ask for a better 14-year-old son and, and just a remarkable um, responsibility with it. It's very difficult to have. Uh, it's a life change for anybody. By the way, let me just say, if you know anybody with especially type 1 diabetes, understand it's a life change. It's a big time life change. And, uh, and so, 
uh, and then that, and there's several, several other things that come up that, that day that were challenging on the home front and other things. And so I was kind of like, whoa. And the next morning I got up, and I was starting to pray about what the Lord would have me preach unto you. And the Lord just immediately put this on my heart. He had done that already the day or two before. And he confirmed it. And so I started to meditate on this passage of Scripture. And I started to meditate on the joy of the Lord and what God, and, and just looking back. And you know what happened to me? I, I went from somebody who was actually wrestling through the, just the, the challenge of some of the things that were on my mind, and I got the most encouragement and strength in my spirit, and nothing had changed. Did you know that the Bible says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is your strength? You know why some of you right now are strengthless? You just find yourself discouraged and constantly depressed? You haven't learned what it means to rejoice all the time. See, life is always going to throw curveballs. But when you immediately say, God, you've allowed this, I'm going to right now give you glory. I'm just going to, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to just have your joy right now. It is a choice, by the way. It's a choice of surrender. But when you make that choice, you know what comes in your spirit? Strength. You cannot explain it unless you experience it. It's, it's hard to explain. But I've had it in the last, especially the last half year, there's been so many times when God, he, he led me on a journey through the Psalms this summer that was something I never experienced before. Verses like, cast thy burdens upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And, and Paul, and I'm sorry, David's, um, his, the way he responded when he was running from Absalom there in Psalm 63 and other places. And I was just overwhelmed multiple times by when I respond right to God and I let that burden go on the Lord and I thank him and I praise him and I have his joy. Whoo, the energy that gives and nothing got there at the moment. But the spiritual work that that did and the depth that that brings is something you could never even put a price tag on. I wouldn't trade anything for growing up with some of the trials that our family faced due to my brother's brain tumor. I wouldn't trade that for the world. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't trade for the world the scoliosis that God has given to me. Look, did you know I got that as a result of my brother's trial? You say, how did that happen? We asked the doctor, I have a rare form of um, scoliosis where I have an extra half bone in my neck. And I remember my mom, she's very thorough in her questions, which was very helpful when I was younger, and to the doctor. And she said, How's, how do you get this? He said, well, for far as we know, it comes from extreme stress of the mother during the first part of the pregnancy. Well, you know what that was? That was Wayne the Third's grandma seizures. Can you imagine being a parent having a two-year-old who's the most perfectly normal? And, you know, he's having these massive seizures and... And you find out he's got deadly cancer, like no life expectancy. All right, you think there's stress there? Oh, yeah. So my next situation, my back being all, you know, you wouldn't want to see the, the uh, x-ray of my back. You'd be, my spine, you'd be like, are you sure you're a human? <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's, uh, I'm kidding, it's not that bad. But, but the point is, you know, but I wouldn't trade anything for that. You know why? Because that's been good for me. In eighth grade, I, I was actually under about a two or three week time, pastor can verify this, that there was a thought, the one doctor, he was too aggressive, I'm glad we didn't follow him, but he thought I actually had tumors in my spine. And for a period of time in junior high, I thought I had cancer. That was good for me. God deepens you through those moments. I wouldn't trade anything for not maybe, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty active and I like to play ball and so on, I'm thankful for that, but I'm glad that God's given me these limitations because it's helped me spiritually. I'm glad life just doesn't go great. I told my um, wife about six years ago, I said, hey, I said, you know, some of these families, and I could name names, um, in the church have all these diet issues. I said, wow, you know, that'd be rough. I'm so glad with our seven kids at the time. 
We just don't have those things. I just said, I feel bad for them, you know. And go on Bible quiz trips, and they literally have to, like, bring their kitchen, you know. And, and uh, that wasn't making fun of them. I'm just like, man, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, boom, the Lord allowed us to face a total life change. I mean, and, and celiac disease is one thing, and then to add diabetes to it two months ago. You know what? I'm glad we have it. It's not, it's not made for a fun life. I'm the happiest man in the world today because God's working in my life. You should not be surprised when God allows you to be tried. I know God wants to use my life and he wants to use my wife and my kids. So, Lord, do whatever you want to do. I do remember, though, when I first found out about my daughter, I thought she had cancer. I, I remember, I've said this before, but I remember wrapping my head in a towel and just weeping in the house. I didn't want her to hear me. I just wept because I thought, man, Lord. I said, Lord, just give me the cancer, you know, my daughter. My wife said, no, remember, God's good to her too because the trial he's putting her through is going to allow her life to touch many others too. And he's doing something in our family. Don't despise the trying of your faith. I remember it was so hard when Emma was in the car that day. She had no clue what was going on. She just knew we were concerned about her. And uh, she said, Daddy, do you know that song, Joy, Jesus and You? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Why are you... Why are you singing that? I say, Jesus and others. And she starts singing it. We're like, yes, that's great. <laughs> oh, man. I was, at that point, I was just torn up inside because I didn't know what was going on. And I was just dying. But you know what? Emma was right. That's the response to have. It's okay to cry. It's okay to go through a grief process. But even in that, you can have the smile of the presence of God upon you. I was just texting Dr. Olette this morning and He's got a massive surgery coming up here in a few weeks, and um, he's going to be in the hospital for up to 10 days, and then, and then he's gonna, his voice is going to be one of those kind, because they're taking his voice box out, so he'll have one of those fake, I shouldn't say fake, but you know, I don't know even what they're called, but so anyway, you, you can speak through that. And uh, people still want to speak. He's blown away. We thought he'd just be right the rest of his life. But I don't get a tinge of regret, disdain, bitterness toward God. It's nothing but joy in this text. I praise God for people like that. They're refreshing to be around, and guess what? God uses them too. What kinds of things in your life are you despising? Have you gotten frustrated by? Do you get irritated by? Do you, get, do, you, do you resist and get angry about? When God says, rejoice evermore, all the time, no matter what, rejoice. So expect it's going to come and revel in it. Now, real quickly here, look over at Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verse 3, it says, And not only so, speaking in the context here of the glorious justification by faith and all that we have and the glorification to come, it says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. And I think you know the James 1 verse. Count it all what? Joy when you fall into various trials. Paul himself said in Colossians 1, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he said, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Can I just put it out there? What Paul said is exactly it. In the moments of the greatest weakness that you feel, because God's letting the, the heat, of, the fire come in your life, that's the best thing for you. Because in your greatest weakness is your greatest strength. We don't like being weak. I don't like being weak. I don't want to give you a false impression. I'm not enjoying, humanly speaking, I'm not enjoying all this stuff. 
just figuring out meals as a family with two different diet situations plus the rest of us, it's not easy. It's very complicated. I don't enjoy it, but it's good. It's okay to be weak. Macedonian believers said, how then the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Notice though, the abundance of their joy. So not only are we to rejoice evermore, but it says pray without ceasing. Embrace God's process of trials. A lot of times we, you know, you hear people kind of uh, joke about that, you know, how you pray without ceasing. You just walk around like this, you know, all the time like a monster. No. You want to pray without ceasing? It's just living in a constant dependence upon God. It's a constant awareness of your need for Him. And just that fellowship with Him where you're talking to Him all the time in your heart. You may be sitting in class. You may be receiving something. But even then you're talking to God about it. Okay, God, thank you for that. That was helpful. That was it. And you're just aware of who God is. And you know what, though? When life's going good, many times that awareness goes away and away and away. Because you're doing okay. Pretty self-sufficient. It's going great. Life's good. And all of a sudden, boom. And you go, whoa. Oh, that's right, Lord, I do need you, don't I? Okay? And we don't mean to be that way, but that can happen to us. And God's amazing thing is how God works is his plan is for us to pray. You remember how in Samuel itself, he said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. All right? The Bible says in Matthew, ask, seek, knock. And that's supposed to be a continual action, right? Now, what's the process here then? If the idea is pray without ceasing, or if that's the, the command, how does that work? Well, look over at Romans 5. Quick, uh, quick, quickly, please. Romans 5, verse 3. It says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience. Ooh. Also in James chapter 1, it talks about this. It says, uh, But let patience. Oh, it says, The trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work. You know, the best thing in the world is for you to just have to wait on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know why we don't wait on the Lord? Because we don't need to, we think. And so God has to constantly remind us about how much we need him by what he allows in our life that's impossible that he puts in front of us. Our fleshly response is, get me out of this mess. I don't, I don't want to face this. I just wish my bill was paid off. I just, wish, I just wish I didn't have this family trial. I wish my parents wouldn't have the fights that they have and the, and the difficulty that they have. I just wish these things would go away. I just wish everybody would just, uh, you just live that way. You know, in the midst of that, you can have joy. And by the way, when you have joy, you can be a catalyst for good, too. <laughs> but the only way you have joy is this point. Stay depending. Embrace the process that God has. Patience is literally the idea of standing underneath something. What, you know, what if the beams in this room, especially in the auditorium, just decided to just give way because they're tired of being up there that, that many years? I remember when I was a little kindergartner when they put those up. They had to close the windows in the classroom. My classroom got almost no sunlight because I was too distracted. I love building projects, okay? And, uh, but if those beams that I saw go up when I was younger, when I saw those beams go up in the original version of our auditorium, you know, what if those beams decide, you know what, that steeple's been on there too long in the, in the roof, we're coming down today. Well, that'd be tragic, right? You know what? That's the same way for us. If we don't let God do the process that he wants to do in our life, it's just like those beams crashing down upon the church. You don't, look, <laughs> you and I don't like that pressure and that weight. Don't be the kind of person that's known for running from pressure. 
And some of you in this room, I'm not saying I know, but some of you I'm sure are. I, I, won't, I won't get out of this. I don't want to do this. No! Let the way to, look, I'm telling you what, Matt. I, <laughs> you think life's rough now, okay? You get in the, in, into the challenges of life, especially if God allows you to face things. It's not easy. But I don't say that negatively. It's great. But let, let the process work now. The, how much farther ahead you're going to be spiritually if you'll let God work in your heart now? So there's this patience, the idea of just constantly waiting on the Lord, just trusting Him and letting Him work in your life. And then there's experience. Romans 5 uses this. It says, and patience experience. Trials really test us for what we are. They show how much we're truly depending upon God. The idea of praying without ceasing. This word is a metaphor from the idea of, using, of, for, from the idea of purifying, refining, and testing of gold. Think about it. Experience. It's that refining process. As you see God work in your life, he begins to open your eyes to truth. Scripture comes alive while you're saying, God, I need help. Oh, Lord, I need, I need your direction here. And Lord, I'm just waiting on you for, for your strength and help right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for what you're doing. I'm, I'm, and he fills your heart with, with, with joy. And guess what happens? Spiritual depth comes. Things that you would never truly have been able to understand spiritually would, would never have been there if it hadn't been for this, but God's giving you experience. And then you start seeing God deliver, and he answer prayer here, and answer prayer here, and you're like, whoa, God's good here. Woo. And then he builds a confidence. Romans 5, 4, what does it say? And patience, experience, and experience what? Hope. It's the word confidence. Wow. The one that just helped you through the trial, when you face another one, is going to be able to do it again. I'm going to tell you what, Pastor can tell you, even though I'm still very frail, my spirit toward challenges that, that can be faced corporately as a church or even in, in, in my family, it's, it's, it's grown. I'm, I still feel like I'm in, maybe in preschool, but I feel like I've grown way more than I, than I was. I remember how I responded to the land trial that we had you know, when we were purchasing the land and some other things. And I, I really believe that God has grown me where I wouldn't quite respond the way. I'd still have ma- major challenges to work through. But did you know that one victory after the next, after the next, builds your faith continually? Just, it keeps doing that. Why do you think pastor's been faithful for 37 plus years here and then many years in ministry? Um, why do you think he stayed at it when he's been crushed over and over again as a pastor? The crushing process. Guess what? It's because he's seen God work. If you run from the tool that God has to build your faith, then how is your faith ever going to be built? So the point is, rejoice what God's doing and let the process work. And the process works by praying without ceasing. It's that constant breath of dependence. God, I need you. And it's just in that communication with him. And then the last thing you see here is in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Remain thankful all the time. Look. Did you know that God has your best in mind? So that means when he gives you a trial, you should be thankful because he's going to take you through it if you respond right in the best possible way. God doesn't trick you. He doesn't play tricks on you. You may have had a dad who did that to you a little bit, teased you. Okay, seriously, you may have had a dad that did that. Maybe he didn't even realize what he was doing. I'm a trickster and a teaser. I have to really pull back on that. And then I see the certain one of my kids having that um, passed on. I'm a little bit probably more... Hard on that now that I see it, because <laughs> I know myself. Okay, but you know God doesn't play games with you, so He allows you to face some really hard things. Guess what? He does it because He loves you perfectly. Many times we put our view of God, we we put somebody else's face there, 
and we treat God as if he was some imperfect person we had before in our lives that we trusted. It's not how he is. In fact, what is his process? Guess what one of the end results of? This is one reason why you should be thankful. James 1, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Wow, that's a pretty good result, isn't it? You let patience have its perfect work, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to be maturing, and you're going to be somebody who's lacking nothing. I'll take that, right? Oh, oh, but the process. I don't know about the process, Lord. That's the whole point, see? And then not only maturity, but love. Romans 5, 5. I love this passage where it says that uh, you get uh, experience hope, and then it says, and hope, confidence, maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. As we experience God's love in trials, God's love increases in our own heart. As we recognize it, we're able to embrace it more. We're able to see it. And guess what happens? It flows out to others. Our life becomes a conduit of the love of God. The people that I know that are the most genuinely loving people who have the most impact are those many times who have suffered deeply and have responded well. That's who I see. I don't like being around people who are cynical, have attitudes. I love, I love it when I see people embrace those trials and, and then God's love just pours through them. Have you noticed that the best comforters in hard situations are those you've know, you know have been through it and have responded right? They put their arm around you. It's not a cheap friend that didn't really, you know, well, I'm sorry. I don't really know. But they've been through it and they say, God's going to help you. That's going to help you. And then the eternal results. Oh, man. 1 Peter 1 talks about this. The praise, honor, and glory, what God will do. And then for our light affliction, 2 Corinthians talks about, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Look, the best life in all the world is the Christian life that's lived at letting God do his full work. Now, I'm going to do a very, something unusual. I'm going to do this quickly because I know time's out. But if I could have, there's some quarter sheets here. I want to make this really practical for you all today. There's some quarter sheets I want you to uh, take right now. Grab a pen if you have one or borrow one. Uh, but I want you to take a, just a quick moment as part of our invitation here this morning. And I want you, this is something that should be private, so I know you're sitting close here together, but endeavor to just not look at somebody else's, what they're writing down. Just keep it to yourself. But I want you right now to start listing out ways right now that your faith is being tried. Things that you're either struggling about, you may be having victory in, but just write it down. Something, maybe it's financial. Maybe it's um, dorm life. Maybe it's a person. That's why you got to be careful when you write this down. This is just for you. Do not, unless you feel like there's a spiritual leader that you need to share this with, that's fine. But write this down right now. This is for your good. Just take time. Write it down. Just start thinking about things right now. Maybe there's a trial back home. Maybe there's something that's weighing on you. You find something that keeps coming to your mind is a weight to you. Anything that is a weight that causes you literally to feel weighed down, buy. Just start writing it down. Write it down. Okay, let's give you a moment or two. Don't want to rush this, but. Typically, there's some things right on the top of the list, other things that may be a little bit more, un, you know, we're not thinking of out, outright, but it actually is something that's in, uh, affecting us a lot more than we realize. What's, what's, on your, what's on your mind? What are the things right now that are really, and they're not necessarily defeat things either. They don't have to be. I'm not, maybe this, when it comes to just defeat and discouragement about it. But just things that are, they're heavy. 
Write down. Now, as you putting that list down right now, you have a choice to make. You're either going to let that list make you more discouraged and heavy, or you're going to make a spiritual choice right now. I'm going to rejoice that God has counted me worthy to face these challenges. I am going to, by God's grace, live in a spirit of dependence upon God, praying without ceasing. Not asking God to get this off my back, but asking God to do the full work that he wants to do in my life to accomplish his greatest will. And number three, I'm going to give thanks all the time. By the way, is it interesting how he reemphasizes it by saying, for this is the will of God? Don't you think every command is the will of God? All right? But he says, for this is the will of God, emphasizing the importance of being thankful. Romans 1 talks about the progression, and it's the sobering pr- progression of where mankind can get. It starts off with, neither were thankful, right? When we get off of being thankful and we get bitter about what life circumstances are, we've got two options. One, according to Hebrews, is that we're going to become a profane, cynical you know, person that becomes profane toward God. The second one, moral issues. Just want to warn you with that. That's why the opposite is incredible. Thankfulness brings great freedom and blessing and joy. So let's stand together, please. You may still be writing. That's fine. But I'll encourage you, if the Lord's working in your heart right now, and you say, I need to come, you can take the sheet here up here with you, give it to the Lord. Not like, God, just help this burden be a little lighter. No, uh uh. Make a choice right now. I'm going to give God glory. I'm going to allow this God to work his process in my life. And right now, I'm choosing to be grateful and ask God to just fill your heart with joy for what he's doing. So, if God's working in your heart right now, there's some things that you know you need to respond in. Let me encourage you bring that to, to the Lord and just come right now and make this front and altar and say, God, I'm giving it to you with joy this morning.